As I've been watching and listening to the news over this past week, I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard this phrase, we are living in a war zone. There have been mass shootings, most recently, just this past week, outside a Chicago funeral home, which many were injured and even killed. Medical personnel described for us on the news hospitals that are overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. There have been riots, looting, violence in many cities, flooding, and even now as we enter hurricane season, anticipating those floods and winds wiping out entire communities. Areas even in the metroplex, in our city, if you were to drive through, are burned out, abandoned, and falling apart. We literally are living in a war zone. I'm thankful that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. It does appear that we live in a world that is unraveling at the seams, torn apart by violence and wars and rumors and wars, nations even rising against nations. But you know, that should not surprise us. I seem to remember someone telling us that it will be this way till the end, even until he returns. Jesus said in Matthew 24, You will be hearing wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. He says these things must soon take place. For when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. The writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us that there is a time and a season for everything under the sun. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. See, not only are we expected to have wars, rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, disturbances of all kinds, but we are reminded to prepare for battle that those wars bring. So now here in this final section of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul exhorts us, his listeners, to prepare for battle. As he sets in context for us all that he has said so far about our living in this world as adopted children, the family of God. He says, stand firm, because there are going to be struggles for the sanctity, for the holiness of our own selves, our homes, our families, even our relationships, because we do live in a war zone. 
We are reminded that we battle against our own sinful selves, that we live among a people who are sinners themselves, that we are called as members of the church, the body of Christ. But that is within the context that the church, we become all too aware that we are sinners, that we are imperfect, and that sin dwells among us. We live in a world that is corrupt. This present evil age, John said in Revelation 12 verse 9, where Satan, who deceives the whole world, dwells. Paul tells us here that behind the war that is being fought are principalities and powers and rulers of this present dark age. And ultimately, Satan, the devil, the father of lies, the great deceiver, the evil one himself, And as we continue to look at this passage this morning, I'd like to draw our attention to those four things I mentioned last week. Those four things in particular that we're going to consider last week, this week, and over the next couple weeks. The first, if you remember, is that call to arms. A call to be strong in the strength of whose might? In the strength of His might. Not in our own. The second is this nature of the struggle. What is the struggle all about? And that's what we're going to consider here this week. And then the following week, next week, we're going to consider the armor necessary for the struggle, for the battle that we are engaged in. And last, we will consider the call to vigilance. Never underestimating the enemy that is before us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The grass withers. The flowers fade and fall, but the words, these words of our Lord God, endure forever. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before engaging an enemy on the battlefield, there's usually preparation for the battle. Physical, mental, verbal instruction. Preparation to get the soldiers ready to engage the enemy. All of those things are usually conducted in some sort of briefing room in some way. Involving the exchange of information. Issuing directives. Presenting guidance for the mission. But imagine you as soldiers in that mission room. 
sitting in the briefing room and you were told absolutely nothing. Just get up. Go. You're dropped behind enemy lines and you know nothing about the enemy. How do you think that's going to turn out? See, it was uh, a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin who said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. God has not left us to our own imaginations to try to figure out who this enemy is or what these battles are that we are going to be engaged in. This enemy that we battle against is devious, he's deceptive, he's deadly. And it behooves us, that is, it is necessary, it is advantageous to us to know something about the enemy as best we can. So we are sitting here as soldiers in the Lord's army being prepared for this battle mission Our commander-in-chief, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, tells us something about this enemy. Our enemy is powerful, he is wicked, and he is deceptive. Let's look first at his power. Our enemy is powerful. Earlier in his letter, the Apostle Paul mentions the devil. You go back to Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul understands that the devil is real. But this is not something Paul made up that came to him in his own mind and he decided to instruct the church in Ephesus and other churches about Satan, the enemy. He had learned it from experience, of course, but also from the one who teaches all things, from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working to instruct him. Jesus acknowledged that this enemy is a real being. You might remember immediately following Jesus' baptism. Matthew records that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who? By the devil. During Jesus' ministry, Jesus often cast demons out of people. We find from Genesis to Revelation... The reality, the presence, and the work of Satan in the world and his demonic forces. First we see and hear Satan tempting Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis. David, in 1 Chronicles 21, we read that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel, to take a census that was not authorized. Job. I mean, you can't think of suffering and Satan and personal experience without thinking of poor Job. Job was permitted by God to test, or Satan was permitted by God to test Job, this faithful man. We see in the the little apocalypse, 
Revelation is considered the big apocalypse, uh, the, the little apocalypse. We often consider Daniel as being that book. In Daniel, we read uh, that Joshua, the high priest, was standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. So when we get to the end of the letter of Ephesians, in which Paul has been instructing the family of God about living their lives in the world, he's been giving us all along the foundation for Christian practical living. And now he comes to the end and says, get prepared. Because this living is going to be a battle. Well, the war has been won, but there are still skirmishes. There are still battles that are going to be fought. So when we get to the end of this letter of Ephesians, Paul writes a summary statement about the devil and his demons against whom we do battle. Just to remind you, he says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The first thing we have to understand about this terrible enemy, the devil, is that he is powerful. Satan's minions are described as rulers, authorities, Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In his commentary on Ephesians, John Stott says that some contemporary theologians view Paul's statement here in verse 12 as referring to structures of thought, especially as embodied in the state and its organized institutions rather than to personal demonic beings. And after giving some four examples of how theologians do this, he draws this conclusion and he says, I confess to finding the reconstructions of the new theorists not only ingenious, but artificial to the point of being contrived. Satan and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places are real. Don't doubt it for a minute. The reality is that we do not wrestle against structures of thought, the state, institutions, or even human beings. We wrestle against the devil and his influence and his demons and their influence in all of these realms. Paul's first century readers were very familiar with this. They doubtless would have remembered as Paul is writing this to the church or even heard about the incident of the the Jewish exorcist in Ephesus who were foolish enough to try to dismiss an evil spirit in the name of Jesus without themselves knowing the Jesus of that name. Instead of succeeding in their attempts, you can go back and read that in Acts, they were overpowered by the one who was demon-possessed. And they fled in panic, naked, and battered. The Ephesians converse had converts themselves, uh, had, had dabbled in the occult, and then made a public bonfire of their valuable books of magic. Such a direct attack to the forces of evil would not have gone unnoticed among those who are living practical Christian lives. 
See, the workers of Satan are depicted as rulers, are authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They are powerful, but know this, they are not equal to God. Satan may be powerful, but he is not equal to God. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The devil is not. God is able to do whatever he wishes, whenever he wishes, however he wishes. Satan is able to do only what God permits him to do. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God knows everything. He has decreed all things that come to pass. The, the, Satan, the enemy, is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. He knows a lot about us. He knows a great deal about us. He's been around for a very, very long time. He knows our fallen human nature but he does not know all things. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's also omnipresent. Or if you put emphasis on a different syllable, it's omnipresent. He is present everywhere at the same time. Satan is not. The devil is not. He is able to be only in one place at one time, and that is why he operates through a vast network of powerful demons to carry out his diabolical schemes like a mob bob incarcerated and chains and shackled in prison who works through his connections and accomplishes his dirty deeds, so does Satan. Even though our enemy is not omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, he is still very powerful because he knows our fallen humanity oh so well. We must never take our enemy lightly. We must realize that we are not able to stand against him in our own strength. Because he is wicked. Verse 12, Paul reminds us that our enemy control enemy that Satan controls the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over uh, this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Darkness and evil are the realm in which our enemy and his demons operate. Stott once again says here, if we hope to overcome them, we shall need to bear in mind that they have no moral principles, no code of honor, no higher feelings. They recognize no Geneva Convention that would restrict or partially civilize the weapons of their warfare. They are utterly unscrupulous, ruthless in the pursuit of their malicious designs. Our enemy is wicked, but he does not always operate in wicked ways. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian church that Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. 
He says this after he tells the Corinthian believers, and what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men he calls false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, angels of In other words, those who claim to represent Christ and teach false doctrine are actually being used by our enemy to carry out those wicked purposes and this even in the church where there are wolves in sheep's clothing. The enemy is powerful. He is wicked. He is devious. Paul tells us, the believers, to put on the whole armor of God. And the reason that we must do so is to be prepared for the enemy and his schemes. He says, put on the whole armor of God so that they may be able, so that we may be able to stand against the schemes, the schemes of the these schemes that the Greek word there is where we get our word method. Uh, that phrase, there is method in his madness. There are methods, devious, scheming methods in the madness of the enemy. Paul has used this same word back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, where he said, as a result, we are no longer to be tossed about as children here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming, deceitful methods. So what are the schemes, these methods of Satan? I mentioned last week a Puritan writer, and if you have a mind to, to pick up his little uh, 1,200-page commentary on the Christian in complete armor, I would highly recommend it to you. He helps us understand the schemes, the methods of Satan himself, and suggests that our enemy's methodical attacks come in a couple different ways. In his timing... And his manner. First our enemy attacks when the Christian is newly converted. Or even longly converted. And living long life of being a Christian. Prior to a new convert's conversion. All of us. Whenever that may have happened were in Satan's army. We belonged to Him. We were dead in our transgressions and our sins. We walked in darkness. We did not desire fellowship with God or His people. But then by God's grace, through faith, we were gloriously converted. We became new creations in Christ. We were transferred and transformed into soldiers in Christ's army. Those who are in Christ now belong to Christ. We are alive in Him. We have no desire to continue in our sin. We are children of the light rather than the darkness. We enjoy our fellowship with God and His people. We love God's Word. We speak to Him in prayer. 
But then we sin. We commit a sin. And our enemy is there whispering in our ears. See, you really aren't a Christian after all. Your conversion was fake. Your striving to live a holy life is all a sham. You've fallen away. You might as well just give up and come on home to me. And that attack may continue for years. See, he makes those accusations. When things are going well, the enemy often leaves us alone, or maybe not so obvious. But when afflictions come, and they do and they will come, our enemy suggests to our mind that God really doesn't love you. After all, those afflictions don't have to be uh, physical suffering or difficulties, physical illness or struggles with sickness. Those afflictions can come by way of circumstances in our lives that try and test us. The Apostle Paul understood that full well. 2 Corinthians 4.17 where he says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us what? An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal and the things which are not seen are eternal. It's during these times of affliction that the enemy often will say to us, if God loved you, he wouldn't let that happen. Think of Job. I mentioned earlier in the Old Testament, he was prosperous. And then God allowed Satan to afflict him. And he lost all of his possessions, his children, his health. And his wife, bless her heart, being the mouthpiece of the enemy, said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. In Job chapter 2, verse 9. Some of our fiercest attacks from our enemy come when we are going through trials and difficulties. Well, they come too when we may be apparently succeeding at what God has called us to do. Our enemy attacks when the Christian is successful at doing what God has called him or her to do. Sometimes things may seem to be going really well for the believer, for the student, for the pastor, for the teacher. And our enemy suggests that, look what you've done. Look what you have accomplished. As if what we did was through our own innate ability or skill or expertise or brilliant mind and knowledge, our own dogged determination. Look what you did. And he leads us to believe that we accomplished what we did totally on our own. 
The enemy can attack during times of idleness. You know that phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Satan loves to find things for people to do. Remember King David in his idleness when he should have been on the battlefront leading his people in his palace room looking out the window leading him into adultery with Bathsheba and that resulting in the murder of her husband Uriah. The enemy attacked him when he was idle. The attack can come also during times of isolation. When we're saved by God's grace through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are adopted, drawn together into the family of God. We are no longer alone, but have become part of the body of Christ, something bigger than ourselves. We are saved by God's grace alone. But... By God's grace alone, we are never alone. There's an expectation that as part of a family that we are called into, there would be a desire to meet together every week for worship, as is commanded in the Scriptures. It's difficult to do that right now because of the restrictions with COVID-19. But we're doing the very best that we can to be obedient to God's Word. There's an expectation that even if we can't meet together, that we're going to be in regular contact for fellowship and support and mutual encouragement, however that's going to look. But then, since Christians are not perfect, sooner or later, someone's going to get their feelings hurt. Something's going to be said. They're going to be sinned against. And our enemy is going to say, See... Those so-called believers. See what they did to you? See what they said to you? Those Christians, the enemy, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Can't trust them. Don't need to be around them. Just be alone. You're better off finding your own friends, your own activities, or even staying by yourself. You're better off being a lone ranger Christian. Lone Ranger, come to think of it, even had Tonto, didn't he? Not having anything to do with those sorts of people, uh, Satan will say, there's no need to stay connected to those people in the church, and that, my friends, is a lie from the pit. From the mouth of the deceiver, the father of lies. Satan can also attack during times of great service, of seeking to serve or... uh, Attack when one has been called to serve. Reminded of Paul, great servant of the Lord, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the word entrusted to him, the service that he was called to. For this reason, he says, to keep me from exalting myself, There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself 
Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulty. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Our enemy attacks Christians at many different times and in various sorts of ways. And his manner of attack is devious. Peter tells us to be of sober mind. Be watchful. Sleep with your eyes open. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our enemy does not always appear, though, as a roaring lion. He does, as he uses his, uh, his emissaries of darkness, seek to frighten us, if he could, to scare us off from the task at hand, if that were possible, and to get us to forget who we belong to. He can attack as a friend, as someone who may appear close to you. Consider Eve in the garden. She thought, That he was helping her. Helping her see things about God that she had never seen before. He would help her be like God. Knowing good and evil. She followed Satan's advice. She fell from uh, for the, the scheme, for the methods of this one who appeared to be a friend. Sinned against God. Taking what God had created as good and twisting and distorting that truth ever so slightly so it became appealing to disobedience. Beware the false prophets, Jesus said in Matthew, who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He can attack as an angel of light, not only as a friend, but as one who is bearing the the truth. Satan disguises himself, Paul said, as an angel of light and asks that those in the church might have their eyes open so that they would turn from the darkness and focus upon the light. You see, in our day and in our time, This idea of Satan, of the devil, of demons, particularly in our enlightened American society, is is something that is a chapter out of a fairy tale. 
But Paul gives us this information. Soldiers in the Lord's army, sitting in that briefing room, preparing us for battle to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might so we might not be overcome by the powerful, devious wickedness of the enemy, Satan, and his minions. Some people may even laugh at Christians for believing such nonsense, such old-fashioned mythology. Some people put all the blame on Satan. And like, when I say his name, many of you are going to remember Flip Wilson. Remember him? Who used to say very flippantly, the devil made me do it. Well, you know what? The devil can't make you do anything. Now he can make it awfully tempting. He can make it awfully appealing for you to to do what he is trying to get you to do. But Satan jumps for joy when more and more people believe in the lie that he is not real. He knows that he has been defeated, that his time is short. He knows his ultimate end and that he will ultimately be thrown in the lake of fire and brimstone and will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Amen. Knowing that doesn't stop him from trying to take as many as he can and would. With him. So, what are we to do? Now we've heard the briefing to prepare for battle and submit to God. Put on the full armor of God, stand firm. But that standing firm is not in idleness, it is in submitting. To God, resisting the devil. And we're going to look at this over the next couple of weeks. Just how is it that we are able to resist the attacks of the evil one? And James says, He will flee from you. Get behind me, Satan. If we are left to ourselves, we would fail miserably in our battle against our terrible enemy. But God has made provision for us in this spiritual warfare. Paul doesn't say go into battle unarmed and be unharmed. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I trust you'll Continue in and tune in next week as we consider Ephesians 6.13. Putting on the full armor of God. What that armor is and how we stand firm against Satan who is powerful, wicked, and devious in his ways. Heavenly Father... We thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have not left us 
alone to figure out the wild ways of the enemy that is in this world. Please, Lord, would you enable us to pray with our eyes open, to pray in the Spirit in all occasions, in all times, and be ready as a soldier in our Lord's army. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.